There are times and there are moments when as we, as a staff and as a leadership, pray for you and live into these experiences of us being together and, and God showing up there, there's times that it just gets overwhelming because we know the stuff. And sometimes God uses me as a little bit of an example, a little visual for you that we're carrying it with you. You know what? We're with you. And man, we're all in this together. And God is so good. So, all right, enough of the Africans in the back. That is awesome. <laughs> hey, I got Africans in my sermon this, today. We are, uh, we're talking, we're going through the scriptures, the sermon, uh, the summer in the scriptures, and we just get to pick our favorite passage from whatever it is that we've read. And if you were able to read this morning, or if you will read later today, because I know many of you are on board now, we're, you're going to be in Acts, and Acts is the birth of the church. And so my sermon is Church 1.0. It's the beginning of the church. There's this text that it talks about what the early church looked like. And it's fun for us to think about what does the early church look like, because our church looks different. We know our church looks different than churches 20 years ago. Our church maybe looks really different from the church you grew up in or the church down the street. I mean, churches are different. Ways of worshiping and style, I mean, it's different, isn't it? It's different across time spans. Some of you a little older than me, some of you are like, you don't know the half of it how church has changed. Like this church, oh my gosh, compared to where we've been in the past and what church has been like in the past. It's amazing how different church can be over time that it changes. And some people have the funniest stories about what you could and couldn't do in church and how you could and couldn't dress and the words you could and couldn't say, Ben Kearns. And uh, we, <laughs> church changes over time and church changes over different cultures and different environments. There's different church cultures even, subcultures that are different everywhere you go. And I remember a few years back when we went in, to West Oakland on a, a mission trip, a summer mission trip in Oakland and Chris Gothold was our youth pastor back then. This is like 14 years ago. And we go to this church in West Oakland, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, and we show up about five minutes late in the traffic. And, you know, their church was all there like a half hour early. And they're like, oh, guests. And they usher us in and they could tell we're guests. Guess, guess how they knew we were guests. It's like 25 white kids. And they're all funneling in this church and worship is going on. And they're like, well, you're, you're, what are you, are you like a group? Oh, you got a pastor here? And everybody's like, it's Chris. He's our pastor. And our 23-year-old intern, he's like, uh, yeah, that's me. So they're like, well, up on the stage. Because up on the stage in their culture, the pastor sits on the stage and the elders sit on the stage. They have like those big church thrones. You know what I'm talking about? Like red velour and the big wood and the tall backs. And they're up there and they're in their whole you know, regalia. They're in their whole element. And they're like, pastor, you got to get up on stage with us. And you know, this is the place where the pastor's there and the first lady is there. You're my first lady. And uh, the first lady is up there and the pastor's preaching and the elders are across the place and they're just all, they're telling him, tell the truth. And sometimes he's asking him, little help. And they're like, tell the truth. You know, I mean, it's just this total thing. And Chris is over here with the elders and he's all, tell the truth, tell the truth. You know, all the wrong cadence and everything, you know. Totally different culture, but church is just different everywhere you look. And then, man, you talk about churches all over the world, how different they look. Our daughter Anna just got back from Rwanda, brought this video back. You just need 60 seconds of Rwanda church. It's a little bit like us, but a little different. Check this out. You got to see this video.
blonde girl in there. There she is. church, right? There's people in the middle with microphones, there's blonde girls, they all got the same dance going, they're like, isn't that awesome? I know. So the church is always going to be changing, the church is always going to be manifested in culture and subculture in different times and in different places, but there's some basic things that the church is, so it's interesting for us to talk about church 1.0, like what did it start like and what are the things there that replicate and that wherever they are, whether it's Rwanda or West Oakland or Marin Covenant, now or Marin Covenant 1975, is the beginning of the church. And we just have a few minutes in our service to kind of go through this, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about church 1.0 and what that's about. And we're going to do it in this structure of meaning and significance and response as we look at the text. Oh, I didn't read the text, did I? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It's the end of Acts 2, and this is when the Holy Spirit has come and said, boom, my power and presence is now with you, God's people, and the church is born. And then this is the description of the church at the end of the chapter. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is church 1.0. Isn't that beautiful stuff? So no matter how the church changes, this is the foundational stuff that the church was born into. Luke, who's the writer of Acts, goes, and then this is how they lived. They became the church and lived like this, 1.0. I love this. I want to talk about what some of this is, and I want to talk about the meaning of what's in the text here. Meaning, of course, is just it's a time of discovery. It's just looking at a description saying, what does it say? What's he trying to say? What's he talking about? It, it, it's just saying, what is he saying by, what does he mean by what he says? Like, what is this? And you realize, oh, it's a description of history. You're asking questions like, who's in there? And who's writing it? And who's he describing? And what is he talking about? And, and so this is just the, what do, you, what do we start to understand here? And a couple of things that I want you to see uh, regarding the meaning. Number one, the earliest church was devoted to some very basic things that are described here. This, this is the meaning of the text. He's just saying, hey, first of all, look at some of the very basic things that the church was devoted to. And before we look at those things, I just want to look at the word devoted for a second because that's a key in introducing the whole chapter. The church was devoted, it says in the text. They devoted themselves to, and then it goes on to list a number of these things. They devoted themselves to these things. Here's a definition of devoted. Steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a course of action. Isn't that good? Steadfast and single-minded devotion or fidelity to a course of action. Steadfast and single-minded um, fidelity. That's devoted. And you do hear the word devotion and you do hear the word passion in there. But it's somebody who says, you know what, upon reflection and experience, I'm all about this. I'm devoted to this. This is the connotation of this word. I'm going to do this. I'm steadfast single-minded toward this thing. 
And there's a lot of us, there's a lot of stuff that we should do, and there's a lot of stuff that we feel like we're guilted into doing, and sometimes we do because we are motivated by guilt. Other times we just feel like we should do stuff and we never do it, but we just live under the pile of shame that we should be doing and we never do it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the stuff that they, upon reflection and upon experience, said, we're all about this. We're doing this. And they were steadfast. You hear the word commitment in there? Single-minded. You hear the word focused? Strategic, steadfast, and single-minded fidelity. That means faithful to it, to a course of action. They wanted to do it because upon reflection and experience, they go, I'm all about that. Now, there's things in our lives that we end up doing that. Some of them are easier than others. Some things that we're devoted to are easier than others. I, 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 gave, I, I give this example to get a few points with my wife. I am devoted to her, and that is easy for me. That is easy for me because she's so incredible. By the way, Chelsea and Matt are like in the fifth row. They got married yesterday, and here they are in church with us this morning. Wave your hands, you guys. You look different. What happened? So, um, so some of that's easy. You guys, were, you're devoted to one another. You're so in love with each other. It's so easy, right? Upon your experience with one another, upon your reflection, you're like, this is the person I want to be with forever. That's easy because you're going, uh, I want it. That's good. That's good. Now, there's other stuff that we know that we become devoted to, steadfast and single-minded fidelity. It's just not quite as easy, but we're still committed to it. What are those things? Things like flossing, right? <laughs> like you're like, nobody goes, dude, I love it. I cannot wait for my bedtime routine because I just love flossing. I'm totally into it. No, but once you've seen the periodontist, right? Once you've had lasers on your gums and knife, okay, I'm speaking from experience. You're like, I'm all about flossing. My experience upon reflection and experience, I am steadfastly and single-mindedly devoted to flossing, right? I'm going to do that, man. In fact, can I tell you right now? Ready? Five years haven't missed one day. Five years of flossing. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, no. You're applauding like it's something I did. I went in there and they tortured me and I said, I'm all about it. I'm never doing that again. This is the devotion. The church said upon reflection and experience, this is what we're all about. And what were those things? Here's some things. We're still in the meaning. We're talking about what they were devoted to some very basic things. Number one, the apostles' teaching. This is like a body of information that they saw that was authoritative, and they said, what is that? We're going to study it. What is it? And the apostles' teaching was these were guys who were experienced with Jesus. They'd lived with him, watched him, heard him, knew what he said, had uh, um, been part of his resurrection, and that gave them credibility. And they go, well, here's the message of Jesus, including his words, including stories that later became our gospels. They go, this is the body, and they devoted themselves to drinking it in. You knew Jesus? You heard from him? You know he was risen from the dead? Give me everything you know about Jesus, all the teaching. Who is he? What did he say? What did he do? And how do I live this thing with a risen now Savior? Okay? They devoted themselves to that body of information called the apostles' teaching. That's what we do. What else did they do that was very core that they devoted themselves to? They devoted themselves to the fellowship, the fellowship. Not to fellowship. They didn't devote themselves to fellowship, although it may look that way in your Bible. It, and it's the definite article, 
the fellowship in the Greek. It means to this thing, this group of people that were gathered. See, they were 120 people, and then Pentecost happened, and 3,000 were added to their numbers. Now they got a church of 3,120, and then it says they're growing daily after that. This is a giant church that's starting to have an impact. Average church size in America, about 120. These guys are now 3,100 plus, and they're growing every day. It's a giant church, but they were Jews, and they were doing Judaism, and they were in the temple courts, and they were living in this area, but they became known as the fellowship, at least, at least among themselves. There's a sense in the word that they were a defined entity. Come on, now that'll preach. They were devoting themselves to being a defined entity. What defined them? They were great Jews and had no intention of giving up Judaism and its laws and its temple and its, and its worship. But they saw that Jesus was the answer to it all. And they became known as the Jesus people. May it be. They were committed to it, devoted to it, to the, the, the apostles' teaching, to the, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the text says. In, in uh, the beginning of your text, in verse 42. The breaking of the bread. Apostle teaching, fellowship, the breaking of the bread. Now we know later he uses, he says breaking of bread means having dinner. This is the breaking of the bread. It's the beginning of what we do, what we'll do next Sunday of the Lord's table. An experience, listen, the church is committed to an experience of saying we will not forget that Jesus has died and been raised to cover our sin. We will be strategic to remember what do we do when we do communion and we pass out? We said we quote the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians where Jesus took the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. They were committed to the beginning. This is the very start of that experience that they did it. Point was, they did not want to meet together and not have Jesus Christ's death, resurrection, forgiveness central. So they were committed to that. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. The prayers. They were committed to the prayers. Same thing, definite article and it's plural. Not they were committed to prayer, which is good. They were committed to the prayers. What does that mean? That means that they had this core experience. They had a diet of some prayers that they prayed together that gave corporate language to crying out to God, to who they were going to be, to what they were longing for God to do. They probably used, they were good Jews. They used Jewish prayers. They used the Psalms, they probably rewrote Jewish prayers to fill up that we know now who the Messiah is and what the hope of the world is about. But they had this structure and strategy to give language to the corporate voice, God, you come and do your work in our world and through us. They had a corporate worship language. That, that's what we do here. That, that's why we not only pray together, but we also have these which are the prayers. They're the, the worship songs where we speak first person. God, we sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We proclaim that the lamb has overcome. We are rehearsing the truth and telling God what we believe and how we glorify him. Isn't that cool? They're committed, devoted to these core things. Apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. And they do all of that in community. They do all of that in community, real community. They're sharing life together. When you look at this text and you go through verse 44 and following, I mean, real community. They were, they, they were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they met in the temple courts. They met in each other's homes. They were in community. And what they had was another person's, and what another person had was theirs. And people who had more sold and gave. It was awesome. I mean, it was 
community. And they were 3,100 people. Now, different sermon. Let's let Art take that one about whether you should sell all your money and give it to the guy next to you. Because the church looks different and the way we function is a little bit different, but the principle is all there. And that's what we're going to go to in just a minute. We're going to talk principles. But this first meaning, the earliest church was devoted to some very basic things. Second point about meaning, these things then resulted in the awe and the favor and the salvation of those who encountered the church. This is the meaning of this text. Hey, church, they're committed to these basic things, and then look what happens. People are blown away when the church gets together and lives out those basic things. And then the Lord adds daily to their number those being saved. When the church does what it does, there's awe and favor and salvation of everybody who gets to watch it. That's what this text is teaching. Now, what about significance? Where do we go from there? The second point after studying, or the second step in studying scripture, after the meaning, we go to significance, and we go, what's the significance? The significance is what are the timeless truths? This is where we do interpretation. What's the truth in this text? Here's what the text says. What are the truths that we're supposed to carry, not just from Jerusalem in the first century, but to Marin County in the 21st century? What is that all about? And here's what it is. Here's one of the two significances I want to give you, significant things, principles. The earliest church was simply a worshiping community. This is the timeless principle. In its essence, 1.0 or 35.7, whatever version of the church you are, the church is simply a worshiping community. That's what we see in this text. The stuff that they did, the devotion to the teaching, the living as a, as a community of faith, the breaking of bread, the prayers, all those things I went through being in the temple courts when they're eating each other's homes, they're praising God and sharing the stories of what God's been up to. This is a worshiping community. They worshiped and they were in community. You with me on that? That's the significant piece that we can't forget. We, can, we know that the way that they worship, the forms are going to change. Africa worships different than many of our churches. These songs are different than many of the ones you grew up with in the past. The pastor dresses differently than maybe a pastor of a church you used to go to. There's, this changes, but it's still worship. And community, how we live out community. We're called a community. This is the, 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 this is the timeless principle in this text. We have to do it in community, this worship. And how we do that is going to change. But fundamentally, we live in such a family environment that those who have give to those who don't. And those who don't have get taken care of by the church. And when somebody has fallen down or somebody is desperate for God, they stand publicly, so to speak, the way we just did in actuality. And people hold up their hands. People sing over them. People have faith for them in their lowest point. We live out this community of our hearts are linked and united with one another. This is significant. This is a principle. The earliest church was simply a worshiping community. Whether we look the way they look or not, that's still what we're going to have to be committed to. And the second significant thing is, and the Lord used this worshiping community to draw people to himself. I want you to catch this principle out of this text. The Lord used the worshiping community to bring people to himself. We try to figure out all the time, how do we lead people to Christ? How's the world going to know about Jesus? How do we have some impact on the world? How does that all work? I'll tell you how that works. This is how that works. We become a worshiping community. And the text says then that people were filled with awe at what they saw. They found favor with people. We know that's not always true because there'll be persecution 
And some of the persecuting people became the greatest advocates of Christianity. But people, there was awe and there was favor. And then it says, and then the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. It's not rocket science. We don't ask you to go out there and be so unbelievably amazing that everybody wants to be exactly like you. Some of you can nail that. Some of you could do that. Some of the others of you, not so much. But the corporate life of being devoted to the apostles' true message of Jesus, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers and worship of the saints, to standing with one another, living in community, etc., etc., then the world finds Christ. Because we do that in our Jerusalem. And they go, wow, you're the fellowship, aren't you? You're those Jesus people. And they can't not see you, and you can't not engage with them. And then God does his thing through that. So how do we respond to those truths, those principles? And that's what we do. The third thing and last thing we do when we come to the text is we ask about response. The response is about how do I respond to this today? This is where it gets real personal. How do I respond in my life today with this? What do I need to do? Or what do I need to stop doing? Or what do I need to do again? Or what do I need to think? Or what do I need to know? Like how do I respond to this truth? This is what you do no matter where you study scripture. Well, the earliest church was simply a worshiping community. So, As part of today's church, we ask, am I in worshiping community? Am I in worshiping community? Am I in community? Am I in this worshiping community? Am I in it? This is the question we have to ask in response to this whole thing. If this is what God calls us to, this is the core of what church 1.0 was, and it has to be then the core of what church 37.5 is, then am I in it? Am I in worship? Is my heart devoted to worship? Do I come and say, this, I get what this deal is. I'm connecting with Jesus. I'm changing the spiritual landscape by proclaiming his glory. I'm engaged in the worship of Jesus in this room. I want you to remember that that's what we do here. I'm not sure why else you would come here, so I know that's what you do. There's so many great things to do today. If you weren't doing spiritual work, why would you be here, right? So when we come and we go down and you go, why does this church do the baskets up front? That's a weird thing they do in worship. And sometimes I have to put earplugs in because some of the songs are too loud. And We do all that worship stuff and we could lose it and not focus on its worship of our great Savior Jesus. And I was saying earlier, I, I said, you know, when we come down, we don't do ritual, friends. We don't do ritual. We do strategic experiences to live out these core values devoted to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread, the prayers, the fellowship, the, the speaking the, the voice of the words of the congregation to God. We do all that strategically, but it's not ritual. So when we say it's time to come bring your money up front, you don't think to yourself, oh my gosh, it's so stupid. Why don't they just pass the plate? Okay, here I go. I should go now, but nobody in my row is going. I don't want to go. I don't want to be the first guy to go. <laughs> and then you finally, somebody, you're like, well, I'm not ready to go, but my row went, so I better go. And then you come down, and then you put your thing in, and then you're all dodging people on the way back, and you're like, we should have a better system. And the whole thing, you know, yes, we could do that. You could do that. You could, you could, you could evaluate every sermon and everything we do, and, and you'd be good at it. And, but the truth is, it's us coming down and saying, oh, my God, this is the first fruits. Everything you've given me is yours. And I'm going to come worship you today and tell you again, today is the structure and the strategy and the experience to remind myself that this is it. You are my God. And we come down with what he has given and we put it in the plate. And when we do, we say, my God, 
You've been faithful to me again this week. I need you to come through for me. How are you going to take care of me as we go forward and you worship our God? It's actually beyond me that we don't have more people just falling on their faces around the table in worship and desperation for him. I mean, that's, right? So we ask ourselves, do I engage in worship when I'm here? Because we, Church 35.7, are a worshiping community. And then, of course, I'll just end with this. Am I worshiping and am I in community? Am I known and needed and connected so that these people who live together and encourage and praise God together and together corporately show who Jesus is? Am I connected? Am I necessary? Am I needed? Am I in there? Do I have friendships? Am I connected financially so that I'm helping the ministry of the church? Am I connected in life? Do, am I in people's homes? Are they in my home? Am I strengthening them and using my gifts and they're strengthening me and using their gifts? Am I connected? Am I in worshiping community? And so let me just ask you this. Here's a challenge maybe. What could you do to respond to the Lord so that when we come back here on July 6th to do communion and dedicate the Guatemala team and welcome some new members and sing and preach, what can you do to be ready to engage in worshiping the Lord, because that's what we do when we're together. And then maybe the second question is, what can you do this week in response to this to get more connected to somebody in the community? I've called four guys recently and said, I need you in my life, I wanna spend time with you, and I think you need me in your life, frankly. And I've taken that step to put myself out there and to begin to connect a little bit more deeply. What, what can you do? Is there a coffee, a lunch, a ferry ride, a phone call, an email, a worshiping community? That's Church 1.0. That's Marin Covenant 2014. Why don't you stand? I'm going to send you off to be that church. Friends, the Lord has um, been in our midst today, has he not? And so he does that to encourage you to go be his people for the rest of the week. So I pray pray blessing over you as you go as a worshiper. I pray blessing over you as you go as a community, the fellowship that manifests the love and the presence and the power of Jesus in our world. So go be the church, version 35, whatever. And God bless you as you go.